My name is Mark Vina, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all tech topics that are smart home, home automation, security, and console gaming related. Today is Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. I hope all of you are safe and well. Spring is almost here. We've got lots of interesting consumer tech topics to talk about. For today's podcast, I want to bring you uh, three journalists, many of you know well. That's Rob uh, Pegarero. I'm going to Rob, let me bring you up on the screen so we can all see your smiling face. And there we go. It's fantastic what technology can do. Uh, Rob is a, a writer for USA Today and Yahoo, uh, Yahoo Tech. Uh, John Quain, who writes for the New York Times and Digital Trends, among other publications. And my go-to person about baseball history, uh, <laughs> uh, how to say that, Stuart? Uh, Stuart Corbin, who, uh, who writes for uh, Twice and uh, Laptop Magazines. Guys, how are you? Good. What is new in your life? I'll start with Rob. Give you a softball question, Rob. Uh, I was going to say gardening season. You know, opening day of my uh, lawn was last weekend, I think, officially. So very exciting stuff. No, it's, it's this weird sort of time in tech where a lot of things that would normally be happening are not. You know, we didn't have MWC three weeks ago. We didn't have South by Southwest two weeks ago. We may or may not have MWC in June. We'll talk about that later on. We were supposed to have an Apple event uh, right now, actually. And yeah, those well, ones were all along. So we're, we're just sort of um, here, existing. It's kind of weird. I, I've never talked to so many people who just say, I want to go to a crowded airport. I want to get an apartment. <laughs> and I want to go back to the way things were. Yeah. Over John? Yes. What's new with me? Well, the, the same sorts of things. You know, the, uh, the things that didn't happen. Uh, Vaccines. That's all anybody can really talk about around New York City is vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Uh, but also exchange. That's probably the biggest. Trying to ignore it. Let's pretend it didn't happen. Everything's infected. Oh, it doesn't matter. Big problem. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing for me right now. And so what have you been doing your time over the last uh, few months? Of class? I, well, I, and by the way, I love Ross's uh, description of what you just did you got a firmware upgrade <laughs> yes i got my second shot i'm a very happy man i will be clear for opening day at city field so i'm anxious nice. for that and i know rob and i are going to be fighting with each other on april 1st when the mets and the national meet on actual opening day in washington I, I do owe you a ticket to Nats park at some point although since it'll be five thousand fans limited on that first day Pretty sure our 20 game season ticket group will not be on that list of the uh, the elite of. Yeah, they're 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 potting us at City Field, so there'll be about 8,500 at opening day at City Field, and I already got my pod seat assignment as a full season ticket holder. How are they determine that? By the way, is it a lottery? Those I don't think it's a lottery. Lottery because I'm only one section over, and I had been in a back row where the ushers would be behind me. So I think what they did, it was that they eliminated the back rows and mo I'm on it on the second deck. Most season ticket holders are on field level. So they probably had to spread out even more since I'm upstairs. There are fewer season ticket holders. So they, so that's why I'm only a section over, but I'm assuming that they simply went by how much money you spent on them. I am is my assumption. Go figure. Uh, what I would have chosen, which is longevity. I've been a season ticket holder for 
since right. 1983. Right. But I don't know. I, I'm only a section over, so I can't complain right now. It's only for April. So perhaps in a month from now, they'll raise it up to 30 or 40 percent, and I'll be able to get back to my, my regular seat. Well, I envy, you, I envy both of you, or all three of you, if you're going to New York baseball, because I cannot wait to go myself. And really, that's one of the reasons why I'm taking the vaccines. No other reason, so I can go to a baseball game. Whatever it takes, yeah. No, I, I, I miss paying $12 for a beer. I, I would love to do that. <laughs> well, that was $12 last season. Yeah. Up a little bit after, after the vaccine, because we got to take care of the those um, those million dollar salary million dollar salaries. Only <laughs> they were just a million. Yeah, right, I'm thinking back in 1975 when they paid Catfish Hunter. Uh, what was it? three million for five? It was three million dollars for three for five seasons. Six hundred. It, it was at the time an outlandish amount, worth every penny. That's crazy. But let's let's get on to some questions I want to ask you folks about different to uh, tech topics that uh, in the news recently, and just get your reaction to it. Um, First one is uh, Apple's Phantom March 23rd announcement. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure each of you read about this, but today <laughs> Apple was supposed to uh, announce a bunch of new things. Uh, turns out that it was a head fake that Apple was doing it because they wanted to flesh out who were, you know, leaking information over at uh, good old at, at the venerable Cupertino company. And I guess for those of us who have been familiar with Apple and have worked with them in the past, this is not unusual behavior. This is a classic Steve Jobs maneuver. But uh, Rob, let me get your reaction to that. Yeah, it, it was weird. I, I sort of had to take a step back like, wait a minute. Why is no one talking about the Apple event on Twitter? Did I miss it or something? Oh, wait, never happened. Um, yeah, usually, though, the message discipline there extends to even the leaks. So the, the leaks are at least when they come from the like, when was the last time Mark Gurman was was wrong about an Apple event or <laughs> really anything about that company? So it's so strange. Um, and, yeah. and meanwhile, like we know they need to announce a new iMac because they're selling out of all the existing models. Yeah. Uh, the iPad has been around a while. We'd like to know about this mystery sensor in the, the HomePod mini so that they've got lots of storylines to clean up. Yeah, you know, it's funny that, uh, you know, the way Apple kind of communicates to the marketplace that new stuff is coming is when they're running out of the old stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievable the scrutiny, the scrutiny that they get at the inventory level. Uh, it's just amazing in terms of you can pretty much predict pretty closely. That, well, you know, all, all their old stuff is going out the window. Now it's time to announce new stuff. Um, John, your reaction? I, You know, they're not as relevant somehow i mean they're it's people buy a tremendous number of their products so they're relevant that way but in terms of gee are they going to do something new i wasn't really looking at that i was more interested in this which is the one plus you know hassle oh, you got it. uh phone so that was happening uh anyway and that's sort of what i was focused on i love i love it it's such a cool phone but uh <laughs> but i wasn't really looking for anything except would there be more M1 products? People are asking me around now, should I get a new laptop? And oh, the 16 inch doesn't have that yet. So it's- JQ, should I get a new Mac mini or should I hold off because the next one's coming around soon? I would wait, you know. Okay. <laughs> it's I, wait, you I, made I it this far. Money. I, it's I, like I, the pandemic, I, you made it this far just a little <laughs> bit longer. I hope yeah. it now with another M1, an M1 plus. Mac Mini because I just bought one in December and I don't I don't want to have to keep buying Mac ones every time they come out right. with new silicon that drives me crazy. 
Stuart, your thoughts on Apple shenanigans with uh, phantom announcement days? Well, there have been so many teases about so many products, the the AirPod lights or the AirPod 3s. There's been off and on rumors about that. There have been off and on rumors about the M1X or the M2. Um, from a personal point of view, I my uh, MacBook uh, Pro is coughing up blood. And I am anxiously waiting a 15 or 16 inch version with right. maybe an M1X or M2, which supposedly will be available in late Q3 or early Q4. So I think it's not only the rumor of whatever the date was. I think the date is less important, quite frankly, than the tease that they've had for all these other things that are supposedly in the pipeline, like air tags. You know, there are all these things that have been rumored literally for six months or more that we haven't yet seen. So the date is less important to me than when these products are actually going to hit the market. If if your mention of the date was a tease, whether or not Apple's running up the flagpole on all of these products just to see whether or not they're leaking or not. So I think the date is only one minor piece of this whole charade. And I think it's much more on all of these products that, that have been rumored to be coming, but for some reason have yet to appear. Well, it's just fascinating to me just the lengths that Apple will go to to flesh out a leaker from the company. That's the yeah. thing that to me is endlessly fascinating. Well, is, even though you may be paranoid, somebody may be chasing you. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I want to, John, you teed this topic up. Microsoft Exchange server hacks. They're, Microsoft's had some, some uh, bad publicity over the last uh, week or so. I, I, to, oh, put my God. <laughs> you know, this is uh, affects hundreds of thousands of servers around the world. They're zero-day attacks. They started in January. Um it's it's so bad i can't even explain how bad it is i mean it basically lets you into once you're in there you're in there for good uh people have uh intruded on uh, tens of thousands of systems that we know of already um it took microsoft uh almost two months to come up with some patches for this and even at that by that time it's too late you can't patch it and then discover that you've been hacked it doesn't show or reveal whether you've been hacked or not because part of the hack is you get authenticated. You're an authenticated user. There's just no way to tell. You need other tools on top of that to figure out if you've been broken into. It may take people a long time to figure this out, and it just shows the vulnerability of you know sort of relying on one piece of software. Once they're in, they're in. It's it's uh, it's pretty bad. Rob, your thoughts. Yeah, it, it's another blow to uh, on-premise computing. You know, cloud mail services, they have lots of other advantages, but at least they're easier to patch at scale. And the software isn't actually resident on your own system. And of course, we now have this other problem that a lot of systems have gotten patched, but others have not still. And, you know, it's great that it has been happening as fast as it has. It's almost like following vaccination totals. But... You know, no, nobody waits to get their Gmail patched. Yeah, except that, so it's great to put it in the cloud, but the Russians hacked the 365 version. So they hacked the cloud version. And not only that, they hacked the token system. That was supposed to be Ooh, you know, right. at last, yeah. absolutely save you no matter what happens. You've got these tokens, you can't beat them. 
they totally beat that system. So then the Chinese come along and hack the other side, the exchange servers all over the planet. It, it's a nightmare. It's also like, I don't, you don't have to be using exchange. If you had email back and forth with anybody that was on exchange, I mean, basically they have all that information you have access. And once they announced the patches, the, the Chinese hacking group went ballistic and they just kind of released it. Everybody knew what to do. And they went after all the systems. They've never seen anything like it because then it was no more secret anymore. So it's, it's, it's still ongoing. It hasn't stopped. Do you think they've been, Rob? Well, I'll either, let me keep this up for Stuart or, or uh, Rob. What about their transparency? Has Microsoft performed in the kind of response? I, I'm going to speak. I, I'm going to address this on a much larger scale. It's really funny uh, it, or interesting to me. Um, I, I've been I've been writing a lot about um, uh, PC security software, and I've been talking to a lot of the testing labs over the last couple of years. Um, and this is sort of like akin, somewhat, to COVID nineteen to a certain extent, in that people have been people were predicting a global pandemic for a long time. And it was a matter of preparedness. And to a certain extent, these kinds of widespread hacks are in, in, in some way the same way as the predictors of global pandemics, in that they are going to happen. To think that they're not going to happen is, is just, just naive. And so the fact that the industry always seems to be reactive to this sort of stuff now there are some some companies that are trying to be proactive apple is very active in in making in in hiring hackers to try to hack into their system and reporting things but that is more the exception than it is the rule and so i i think a bigger problem for the entire industry is that all of this is, is a disaster waiting to happen and the industry insists I won't say insist, I shouldn't say that, but they are always seem to be scrambling to catch up instead of trying to get ahead of them. And I'm not sure that there is a solution other than going out and hiring the hackers to work for you, which happens a lot in security cir circumstances where con artists and what are hired by the FBI essentially. But, but this continually scrambling to plug holes is, you know, is just a losing game. And unless something radically changes with Microsoft or any of these big companies, this is just a hint of things to come. I'm so, very, Stuart, I'm very depressed after that answer. Go ahead. So, you know, two things. Number one, you know, yes, absolutely. Companies should be hiring people to try to pen test their systems. Red teaming yeah. is basic security. Uh, I think this also points to, you know, all of us used to spend a lot of time in airplanes and it's a safe way to travel because there's a culture of not, not punishment, but fix it. You know, if something goes wrong on an airplane, we document it, we write it down and we publish it. So it never happens again. And there's no equivalent to that kind of NTSB led culture of safety in cybersecurity. After a lot of big ransomware incidents, instead you find the company involved doesn't want to say what happened, so everybody else is free to make the same mistake and also get pwned later on. And so, we, we've got to do so that. Robert, you so, Robert, you advocating an FCC for cybersecurity? Is that the well? We actually have the Cybersecurity Information Security Administration. I think I got that right. Which is in business to try to do this sort of thing, but it's also a very new organization. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you need some sort of public-private collaboration because 
you know, you're not necessarily going to get one company be invited to competitors. Here's how we screwed up. Take a look. Uh, somebody has got to sort of take the lead and enable that sharing of, you know, what went wrong, what is there to learn? And it's happening on lots of different levels. There are these uh, ISACs, information security, right? Blanket on my acronyms today, right? Where you know companies and organizations can share confidentially what went wrong. So we're sort of moving in the right direction. But this is a reminder when you have an asymmetric threat like this, where it doesn't take that much effort to hack a server from somewhere in St. Petersburg. Um, you know, you can't just leave it to each company to fight off the attacks by themselves and not know what everyone else has picked up on. Yes. It's all about, it, I, you know, there have been ISEC and cooperation and stuff. I mean, you can't be too transparent because look what happened in this case. The minute they told people there were these four hacks, those hackers went wild. They scanned every node, every network all across the globe. They went for it, right? Because they thought time's up get as much information as I can. So, you know, the transparency thing is tricky. It's the money. It's always the money, right? These companies never pay for any of these flaws, right? You get hacked, you lose all your data. Tough, tough, you know? So you need to have some financial repercussions. You need to have some financial uh, penalties. If you lose information like that, or you get a hack like that and you didn't take sufficient you know, precautions, Microsoft should be paying, you know, Apple should be paying, Google should be paying, all these people have been hacked. There's no, you know, nobody's been sort of off the hook. Um, until that starts to happen, I don't really see a change and there's no money in it, you know? I'm it's not sure if opening the way for more class action lawsuits is necessarily the the optimum way out of this though. No, but, but John does have a point though. The consequences are not changing the behavior. Right. You know, and that's, I think that's something the industry has to uh, deal with. Uh, this is my, this is my favorite topic of the ones that we're talking about. There was a, a teardown of the, uh, of the new HomePod mini and it revealed a secret temperature sensor. And I know that, you know, Rob, I know that you're concerned that people are going to be able to hack your house and find out that you're, your air conditioning is at an illegal level or something like that. But it is interesting that Apple would integrate that kind of sensor, but then not make a lot of noise about it. So let me start with the Rob. Rob, what are your thoughts? Were you surprised when you saw this? Uh, I'm more surprised Apple hasn't made a run at this category because on the one hand, the leading smart thermostat, Google's Nest, has not done all that well from Google's stewardship. Google took it over, killed off the entire works with Nest ecosystem. Uh, they've sort of merged it into the rest of their smart home strategy, which is still a mess. Like it, it's Google is not a company. I have a whole lot of confidence will carry through a hardware strategy outside of things that, you know, outside of Android and um, cloud services, everything else like smartwatches. <laughs> no, I don't want to hear about Wear OS. They've completely blown that. Uh, so it seems like there's an opportunity for Apple to be the, the privacy optimized smart home company, mm -hmm. uh, starting with something as basic as the thermostat and they haven't done that. So they've had this dormant part and I don't know how nobody discovered this before. Didn't I fix it, do a teardown of this thing from they, day they, one? They missed, they, they missed it. So either it's embedded so well that it took this much time to discover. Apparently what it's like the size of a grain of rice or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably that's really what it boiled down to. But well, let me tell you something. Apple is not going to put that ingredient in this pro product unless they have plans for it. You know, they just didn't do it by accident. So either they haven't enabled, they haven't 
yet had a chance to announce whatever type of capability that's going to allow you to take advantage of that. But um, it is kind of, it's just kind of strange the way those kind of things are disclosed. Stuart, what are your thoughts? Well, at first I thought I was reading about the appendix, you know, I mean, this vestigial, you know, organ that really didn't have to serve any purpose. But it, two, two things occurred to me. One was what you guys have been talking about, which is essentially future usage, um, that the HomePod would suddenly become a temperature humidity sensor that would then automatically trigger fans or air conditioners that were part of the home kit system. The one right. thing I haven't heard about was maybe if the, maybe the cigar is just a cigar. Maybe it's just a temperature humidity sensor to sense if the speaker itself is overheating. I, I mean, I, I, you know, otherwise, why wouldn't Apple have done? I mean, the HomePod, it was in the original HomePod also, if I understand what I, if, if what I, if what I'm reading is to be believed. And so why they haven't done anything about that until now or haven't done anything about it until now doesn't seem to make much sense. This is not a company that sits around going, hmm, should we do this? That's that's not who they are. And they certainly have enough HomeKit partners that if there was this capability built into the HomePod, the original, which is what, three years old already? Somebody would have, a thermostat maker or somebody would have hooked into this already. What, what's taking this so long? So the fact that it's in there and for future use just doesn't seem to make any sense to me considering how long it's been there. Yeah, I wondered whether or not it was just part of the, um, you know, the system on a chip sort of integration. Like Bluetooth used to be in phones for about a year and a half before it was enabled because the carriers didn't want to pay for the feature, but it was already in the phone. I mean, it came in those Samsung phones. It was yeah, just radios too. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that often happens with products like this where it has features like that, but they're either not enabled or it's just because they're part of that, uh, what the original circuit design was. And it's too expensive to change it cheaper just to leave it the way it is, even if, though if they're not using it. I'm still, I'm thinking about heartbeats. Don't you want to talk about heartbeats? That's the one that kind of freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> that that yeah. sensing your heart. Yes, go ahead, uh, John. Yeah, well, that that you know, there are microphones in these devices. What can they hear? How about you know when we learn about ultrasonic hearing in some of these speaker systems, that starts to get kind of creepy, right? <laughs> and this idea that these researchers came along and said, hey, we could use this, like you could do the, the fitness tracking watches to measure your heart rate and to see if there's an arrhythmia or not. Well, that's, I, I've got a couple of smart speakers around that just gets kind of creepy to me. Anyway. John, you need to get out of the house, really. <laughs> Don't we all? I mean, right. They're creeping up on you. Right. Well, this is your topic. Uh, you wanted to talk a bit about the, your tips about improving your Zoom technique. Yes, what, don't pay any attention to what you see behind me. <laughs> it is, it is. I freely admit, a bed sheet because what's behind the bed sheet is even worse than the bed sheet. I live in a <laughs> tiny New York City apartment, and like John, my background is just right. a mess. And I'm glad this particular platform allows um, a different back screen, but I'd have to get a green screen first. But the reason I wanted to bring this up, and I'm always shocked when I you know, watch all of the, the, the CNNs and the MSNBCs and the Foxes. 
and they have these remote. Now everybody's interviewed remote. Nobody's in the right. studio. And it's fascinating to me to see the quality of, of the connection of the lighting of the sound changing so radically from interview to interview. And let's not even talk how many people fail to have a copy of the power broker on the shelf behind them, but that's a whole <laughs> And so I, I think it would, it, since we're professionals, um, I've often noticed that a lot of people use the ring uh, lights, which I don't use because they reflect off of glasses. So I put a baby spot, which needs to be replaced because it's fading out on me. But I put a baby spot above me to sort of give me a better light. I, I think, Mark, you must be in sunlight. You must have a bay window or something opposite you because you like your bathing sunlight. Yes, I do. Uh, which I, have well, I, I do have a light. I do, I do, you know, I've been doing these so long. So, and you, you know, you, one of the tips I would give people is that you get better over time. Your first podcast is never going to be your best podcast. You know, you just you tend to get better and more, a bit more sophisticated. And, you know, I think the key thing is lighting, you know, having, having, you don't have to go crazy with lighting. I mean, I look at, Stuart, I look at your studio and you clearly didn't spend a half a million dollars. <laughs> Maximizing. Maybe half a dollar. Yeah, where'd you get where'd you get that bedsheet? Did you go to Target? Is that the, no? That it came out of the closet. It's an old bedsheet. It's all it's only yellow because it's old. And I also invested in you know a in in a good microphone, so I didn't sound like I, I just sound like this coming you know for just using the computer microphone, you know. So so sound and vision I think are really critical parts to so when you come across because nothing ruins what you're talking about if nobody can see or hear you. Well, and, and on that point, and Rob, you and I have talked about this before, it's shocking to me, using Stewart's um, uh, commentary, that on, on professional broadcast networks, if, you know, if you were going to appear on CNN or Fox or MSNBC or whatever, you know, you'd think you'd go out and spend a few dollars and get a high-quality microphone. And a lot, of, and a lot of the folks that get interviewed professionally, I mean, they can afford to get a Yeti microphone or whatever brand you want to call it, because the audio, especially audio, video at the end of the day, video is important. Maybe not everybody wants to have There's a lot. There's a lot of bad webcams out there too. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But isn't it shocking to you that <laughs> audio is so overlooked because it's such an important quality? The way I put it, the, the pep talk I gave to a friend of mine who was going to do her first virtual panel uh, a few weeks ago was, don't worry, someone else is going to be much less prepared than you. You will look great in comparison because there's always somebody who uh, not only do they ignore the the producer's request to have a plain backdrop, they, they have like a ceiling fan spinning above their head. <laughs> you know, that. And it's not even like a good mistake, like having a, a cat or a baby wander in. I did actually lock the door of my office, so my cat does not make a cameo here, because he probably would want to check out the ring light and then step on the keyboard and, and log me off. John, John, your two cents on uh, how people can improve their Zoom technique? Well, yeah, I think it's just a different, interesting. I, I'm not for the blank backgrounds, um, you know. Even, uh, but. <laughs> The lackadaisical attitude is if you've ever done like NBC has um, what they call a nook in 30 Rock and it's like on the 27th floor or something and you wend your way through these hallways and it's near the Saturday Night Live studio and you just show up and it's like a closet 
with a bunch of cameras in there and you put the IFB in and somebody says, okay, you're on in like 10 seconds. And you just, there's not a lot. They just have relied on those community, those systems for so long that this idea of like connecting over Skype or zoom or something, they just expect it's going to work like that. And of course the bandwidth to me, the killer is the bandwidth. Yes. Here in New York spectrum is awful. So Sometimes I have a really great connection and sometimes it's really terrible. Um, I've been testing uh, Elon Musk Starlink. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, and you can see uh, you can see the review online and my video of me running around in the snow trying to find the right spot. for the where, Where's the review, John? Uh, Tom's Guide. Okay, so uh, you'll see it at Tom's guy. There's a there's a full review there, um, and uh, it's interesting, but it's it's intermittent. So and it you know this is a synchronous doing video calls is synchronous, and those systems are asynchronous. So you get like a terrific download speed, and then it'll drop out. So it's it's not quite there yet, but it has a lot of promise. And in places like Vermont, places like that, there is no other option. There's no cellular service for most of the state. You know, DSL is the only thing you can't get cable and the other satellite systems. Somebody had posted on one of my reviews, you know, well, there are these satellites. They're awful. I've tested. <laughs> you don't want those. You've done, you've done the Hughes and you've done. Um, yeah. Oh, what's the other one? Vianet. Yeah, they don't. They're, they're up. They're like a 44,000 mile round trip. Right. Yeah. So the latency on those systems is terrible. Um, so what's that? I can't see it. I can't see it either. You're starling your um, review. Oh, it is. Okay. Oh, there you go. Well, there you also go. have to remember that the Starlink, they're only about 10% of, of the satellites. I think they've launched 120 satellites out of the 12,000. Well, I think my percent, I think it's 1%. So there's a lot more satellites that need to go up and that may improve. I want I wouldn't improve the latency necessarily, but it might improve the, the, the um the connection viability yeah it should improve they're up at about 1100 1200 right now and uh, oh they were up to that already well yeah but, oh, I was right, 10 they're, they're around the the u.s canadian border so they seem to be strung along the 49th parallel they're like so you have to kind of aim you know the dish whereas hopefully you won't have to as much anymore um and i tested in blizzards you know we had a lot of snow and stuff and it's still managed to work i mean it, it's a it's got a lot of promise um the other rocket that they keep testing that landed but then one of the legs broke and it exploded that rocket system can launch something like 400 of those satellites at once so that's why they want to get that up and going because then you'll like send up as many as you need to send up um and they have a failure rate of a couple of percent so even though all these little satellites are floating around there some of them fail right from the start so you have to remember there's a a lot of work that goes into this but i'm i'm hopeful it's it's a i can download a 4k movie in the country finally so keep, keep dreaming john keep dreaming that will <laughs> happen one day uh, rob apple's app track uh tracking transparency prompt that was a kind of a bit of interesting news uh, a few days ago. We'll yeah, talk. it's it's been weird because if you if you read this from the perspective of what Facebook has said about this, which is the prompt Apple's going to show you, you may already see it. I saw in Sling TV's app, uh, allow Sling TV to track your activity across other companies' apps and websites, right. and then the, the the company can make their defense of allowing this. This information may be used to better personalize your experience by showing you relevant ads, which is not a great sales job by Sling. 
Facebook has said, this is going to kill local business. We're, it's terrible. Yeah. And everyone's like, really? <laughs> Meanwhile, Google said, we'll just stop this tracking. We'll, we'll stop analyzing your usage, which they should be able to. Don't they already know enough about me? Uh, Twitter has said they'll keep doing it, but they're going to work on the language in this prompt. And they said, maybe this will actually make us more competitive against companies that have been able to put all this data together by seeing what you do in other apps. Um, Yelp sort of gave me an inconclusive answer. Snapchat said, you know, we're going to keep doing it, but we think it's a good move overall. So there's a lot of equanimity across the, the part of big tech that doesn't include Facebook. Uh, and then I also talked to a mobile marketing consultant who said, this is for a USA Today story that ran uh, last weekend. You know, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt smaller developers who rely on ads to monetize their apps and who place ads to try to get customers for them. And he said, you know, look, it really does make the advertising less valuable, less accurate, less efficient. But of course, the smaller developers get the least amount of say in this. And, you know, they're just going to have to live with it because Apple has made its choice. And he expects Google will have some version of this since we've seen this in general good competition between Apple and Google to sort of match each other feature for feature. One version of iOS, you see something like it in the next version of Android. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John, John, any thoughts? Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because there's this whole business that goes on of selling this data and aggregating this data. There are companies that have no apps at all. They have nothing to do with apps, but they have the data and they grab the data and then they resell it aggregated together all sorts of information from you know city infrastructure kind of information data about traffic and where people are and what they're doing it goes into a lot of research and all that information is there's a marketplace for that um this you know in theory could kill it but actually i think a lot of people just click yeah whatever if there was a yeah whatever button they would be clicking that so, yeah, I'm I, I don't know the impact it'll really have, but it, it, it is just a kind of reminder to people um, that they are sort of being tracked and followed everywhere. Uh, but I think in the end, people just click yes or whatever. I mean, that's part of the problem. You know, someone downloads an app, they want to use the app so quickly, they fly right through the um, the EULA. If there, if there is one that you can see at the beginning of the experience, they could care less. And, and, and by the way, and the uh, the app guys know that. You know, and by the way, most of the EULAs are, are written. Uh, you need to be a lawyer with um, 45 years of um, legal experience to understand um, the uh, the agreements in, in in detail. They're not written in in, in very plain spoken English. No, and even TVs are doing, you know, televisions. I got three in here right now, um, you know, new TVs, and they even have that. And their privacy thing, if you start to look at it, um, and they want your credit card information and stuff, you don't actually have to give them any of that information. But finding a way around it way at the bottom of the screen, it's like, it's difficult. They make it as hard as possible. Stuart, any thoughts? Yeah, the cynic in me saying is saying, yeah, thanks, you're a decade too late. Um, this is, this to me is such a a pebble in the ocean. We long, I mean, I used to say when people were talking about privacy, I mean, this is, we're talking decade or more ago, um, even before all of this, people were worrying about how much information are these companies getting in all of this. And I said, if you want privacy, go to the bath, go into your bathroom and lock the door 
and don't take your phone with you. You did see the polar connected <laughs> toilet. It's it's CS, just, right? This whole conversation to me is uh, it's just so nuts. Oh, thank you. You're giving us this little token of privacy. Oh, thank you, lords of app. It's like, it's too late. Our, our stuff is out there. So it's going to stop them from collecting a little more. And somebody's not going to figure out a way of getting around it or you use so many other devices that they'll get the information from someplace it this is going to inconvenience a few people for a short period of time but the whole idea of keeping our lives privacy i gave that up um, you know decades ago we live let's come to the understanding that we live in a society that is this close to big brother um, and I'm thankful that I am about to go on social security and that I won't be around to see, um, war become equal peace. I, I think, aren't you challenging Larry Ellison? Wasn't he the guy who made the famous line? Um, something along the lines of, uh, you know, just get over it. You know, there is no privacy anymore. It could have been. Well, I'm, yeah, like I said, I've been, this is more than a decade. I, as soon as you opened up your fur PC and got onto the internet, you gave up your privacy because everybody was initially asking for your information, and then they just decided just to take it because you just agreed to this. You know, this 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 laundry list of permissions that you gave everybody that you never read. You know, so we oh, we gave up our, and now of course there are ring doorbells on every door. There are security cameras above every store. I mean, it's amazing watching the um, the FBI investigate the attack on the Capitol on one six, and how much footage there is of this bomber that they still haven't caught yet. There's this enormous amount of footage of this individual walking here and walking there. I can't believe how much footage there is of this individual. And in, even five years ago when that happened, that would never have happened. So the whole idea that Apple is now going to allow us to choose them not to take only this much of our information, I just, I, it thanks, but it's, it's way too little and way too late. Wow. Well, let's hit one more topic and then I want to really go to predictions uh, for next week. Uh, I think, Rob, you teed this one up. You know, our good old federal government, uh, they want to provide subsidies for student broadband, you know. And by the way, yes, I'm I read about this for Fast Company that was two weeks ago, I think. And this is an interesting case where, you know, even a lot of the more free market minded think tanks agree that, you know, yeah, we should do something about it. this is a case of market failure. Student need, students need some kind of broadband to learn. So it's coming in two ways. And the one that you know, both of which could go wrong. There's a long history of ill-spent broadband subsidies. Uh, so one of them is there's going to be a program by which you can get $50 coupons to pay for your broadband, uh, which, you know, there's a whole verification process. There, there's eligibility requirements. Not anybody can get it. You know, you won't get this automatically, but seems to be a good idea because, yeah, if you're a student in America, 2021, you need a functioning internet connection. Uh, the other one is to allow schools and libraries to have broadband that goes beyond their own property, their own, beyond their own boundary lines, to eliminate the problem of, you know, the closest library to me, there's a sign next to the parking lot saying public Wi-Fi here. So students who need bandwidth, they can hang out in their mom's car or their dad's car and get their homework done that way, which seems like a pretty common way of doing it. 
Right. Uh, and so both of these things, they, they tackle affordability issues. They can't do, a, you can do a little bit for availability if the, the schools and libraries broadband part of it, which was in the just past American Rescue Plan, does extend bandwidth coverage a little more than what we get right now. Uh, but it's at least an effort to grapple seriously with it. And, and some people have been speaking about this for a while. I had a quote in my story from the uh, acting chair of the FCC, Jessica Rosenworcel, pointing out that the homework gap is real. It exists in urban America, rural America. The quote is from 2019. So I'm, I'm glad we are now taking it more seriously. But what do you do about places that have no broadband? You know, Starlink will get there at some point, but it's not going to fix it for everybody. No, and yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, uh, go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say Starlink has a you know arrangement. They're they're experimenting with it in Ohio in some rural areas because, you know, that's that's there, there's never going to be cable. Five G is never going to reach those communities. You can't reach us in Vermont. It's just not a practical thing. So it's one of the few options, and but it's expensive. You know, Starlink is wicked expensive. The package is like five hundred dollars to ship it to you, and then another hundred dollars a month. Right. just for internet service no phone service no streaming channels no anything else so uh most families in those communities couldn't really afford that um they tend to be you know lower income and and not a lot of employment opportunities so yeah a subsidy i think would help definitely if you could reach those people sure yeah I just wrote a column about all of this, which has not yet appeared, so I can't point anybody anywhere. But a lot of this is um, all part of, I did a column in October, November, called uh, We Need a Broadband New Deal. Uh, and akin to what FDR did in 1933 to bring electrification to rural areas. And there was this broad federal pol uh, policy and a single agency, the Rural Electrification electrification agency that was in charge of making sure that the 10% of farms that had access to electricity grew within 15 years to about 80% of farms. It was a singular agency that was responsible only for that. The problem that we're having now that all of these rural broadband, expanded 5G, um, um, improving the um, the FCC definition of broadband from 25 three uh, 25 download three up to either 50 or 100 has been stalled for a while the problem in the federal government right now is that nobody is in charge of broadband or broadband policy and all of these ad hoc methods for instance the this the federal subsidy for the student uh, broadband you have to apply for it online, which is one of the funniest catch-22s I've ever run into, because you need right. broadband in order to apply to get broadband. You can do it on a phone. I did check the, the I understand. It's still, it's still part page. of a program that isn't, isn't even up and running right now. There is, they've, they've moved up the Office of Science and Technology to cabinet level, and the guy that who has been nominated to be the secretary of this at the cabinet level is Dr. Eric Lander, who is a, a microbiologist. Um, the Gen Jessica Rosenworcel uh, right now is the acting head of the FCC, and they haven't filled Ajit Pai's seat, so the FCC can't do anything about the E-rate, which is the other part of the subsidy plan, uh, to expand beyond schools and libraries for to fill that homeward gap. 
So right now, and, and the and the rural 5G programs and the rural uh, broadband efforts are scattered across a half a dozen different Senate and House committees, agencies. For instance, the Agriculture Department has one piece of the rural broadband package. They have to update the broadband map so they know exactly where they're lacking in broadband, and the broadband map only includes wired broadband, not wireless or fixed wireless. So the issues on this are so wide and so scattered all over the place, and nobody is in charge in trying to figure out what has to happen, and there's nobody in charge to make any decisions. Joey, you're just full of optimism on this podcast. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, President Biden on January 20th sent a, an open letter to Dr. Lander or whoever the nominee for that position. This was before he nominated Dr. Lander. And it's a five-point plan on what that Office of Science and Technology is supposed to be doing. The words digital and communications are each mentioned once and neither in the same sentence. Most of the want list that President Biden put out covers global health issues and as well as domestic health issues and climate change. Those are the primary things that that office is going to focus on and how the FCC fits into this. It's, it's really just a giant mess, especially since they haven't even, they don't even know when the hearings for this guy are actually even going to be scheduled in the Senate. Well, and let me just, just wrap it up there because it is pretty sad when you consider the fact is if the pandemic has really real revealed one um, unsettling thing about America, there is a broadband divide. And uh, and especially with this med, you know, focus on educating kids at home, um, you know, rural communities, inner city communities without really good broadband or no broadband at all, have suffered enormously. And something's got to be done. Something's got to be done. There's no question about it. But let's uh, conclude the call on my favorite topic, and I'll give you 30 <laughs> seconds each, and that is predictions. You know, like the old was the fire? That wasn't firing line. It was the McLaughlin report. Didn't they do that at the end? McLaughlin report, yeah, absolute metaphysical certainty, or what was the other end of the scale? I forget what I was. I'm we're all dating ourselves. The fact that we know that show, right? Uh, but Rob, let me uh, let's start with you. Your prediction. So I talked earlier about this sort of virtuous circle of competition between Apple and Google. There's a little bit of that going on with developers. First, Apple decided to throw a bone to developers who were tired of getting dinged for thirty percent of pretty much all the money that goes through an iOS app unless it buys a real world good or service. And they said, we'll cut our take to 15% if you're a developer who makes less than a million bucks a year on the app store. And at the time I tweeted, I expect Google to follow this in three, two, two months elapsed. Google announced that they will cut their take on the Play Store from 30% to 15% on the first million dollars a developer makes, period. You could be a 20 million year developer they'll still have the sort of progressive tax rate. Right. I got to think Apple's going to follow suit because the system they have now is you can, you know, graduate from this and get whacked at 30%. Uh, so we have developers who will try to stay under a million bucks a year, like run negative ads against their app or something in December to tank their sales. They're, they're making work for themselves. And I think it would do everyone a big favor if Apple would just say, yeah, your first million bucks, you get to keep 85% of that too. John, your prediction. Oh gosh. I, I uh, keep waiting for the next, the other Peloton to drop. Um, you know, there's this attitude of, 
you know, there's growing attitude in Silicon Valley and these companies of if I just don't say anything, it'll just go away. Um, PR people, it does not work. <laughs> yeah, Tesla doesn't even have like PR people or anybody to respond or SpaceX. They just that you can call an email, but they're just never going to respond. They have a serious problem now. They're trying to do something that they don't have the technology to do, which is to do autonomous driving. They simply don't have the basic technology to do that. So they're going to be under investigation. But Peloton was the most recent case where they've had a fatality on it. Look, um, we know from Facebook's and Sheryl Sandberg, look, it's a dangerous thing at treadmill. Her husband had an accident and, you know, so a child, there was a fatality on a Peloton. What did Peloton do? Said nothing about it, said, gee, we're sorry about that fatality, but didn't say anything about how it happened, what I could do as a parent to prevent it from happening. They were just silent on it. But I think that's going to come back to haunt them. I mean, um, consumer affairs are, are, are much more important now and relations. And you can't just do that with a product and just expect it to go away. I'll just give the I'll just offer the family a discount on the next Peloton model that comes yeah. out. <laughs> Stuart, predictions. Other than the Mets winning the National League pennant? Oh, other than that. Okay. Um, um, Mobile World Congress has been pushed to June <laughs> June 28th. And if they think they're having a an in-person convention in Barcelona in, in June in June and July, they're nuts. Uh, I don't know if, if they're making plans to turn this into a virtual event, but with what's going on in Europe right now, I cannot imagine them having an in-person show in June. But I want to go. I really want to go. go too. But <laughs> I, don't, I, I, just, I just can't see how they're going to do it. Especially yeah. since even here in the U.S., they're predicting, uh, you know, another wave of these, you know, extra viruses that are hanging around. So the thought that that they're going to have a, a vi even a viable, even if they have a viable show, it's just, I'm very optimistic of them. Yeah. But you're just, you're just full. Of optimism, I don't know if I want to invite you on. I'm sure the Mets are going to win the pennant. You know, I'll tell you what. I'll the podcast is my predictions: the Yankees are going to win the American League East by 15 games, and they're going to sweep through the playoffs and and into the into the World Series. And that, and that's really a pretty big. I'm going to actually delete that from the podcast after, during post production. Never, never happened. So, in any event, guys, really thank you for uh, spending the time with me on today's uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for um, listening to the podcast to the more insights and strategy audience. Please follow us on our social media partners. That's Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great week. <laughs>